Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hi, I'm Rachel and we're back again for another episode of the Skies Were Under podcast and the second part of our discussion on those times when there is a breakdown between the parent-practitioner relationship. Each week on the podcast, I am joined by my fellow parents and professionals, Sarah Clayton and Lucy Parr. My background is that I'm a registered adult nurse. I've previously worked in A&E and GP practices. I'm also the parent of three boys, one of whom has cerebral palsy and really complex health needs. I wrote the memoir The Skies I'm Under and I'm founder and director of Born at the Right Time. I'm joined each week by Lucy Parr, who's in SEND, um, Special Educational Needs, in a primary school while she pauses her PhD in educational psychology. She's got four children and her third son has a chromosome duplication, which means he isn't verbal, has autism, high sensory needs and really complex epilepsy. We are joined each week by Sarah, who is the CEO of Simple Stuff Works. Simple Stuff Works is a company which makes postural care equipment. Sarah is a postural care geek. She's got four children and her eldest daughter suffered a brain tumour at the age of six. And then as a consequence of treatment and complications, she's now a young woman with learning disabilities and various medical needs. Last week, we started talking about the potential problems that arise between families and professionals. It was such a monumental subject that we went on and on and on. You were introduced in episode 14 to Mousegate, which you'll be updated on at the end of this episode. I know, the excitement is tangible. To recap what we discussed last week, we were looking at how the language around being warrior parents and battles can really impact our relationships with professionals and practitioners. How breakdown happens on both sides from various reasons, including a level of mistrust, the way we label people and how both families and professionals are under immense stress within their roles. This week, we're going to start more positively and Lucy kicks us off by thinking about some of the possible solutions to these tensions. In terms of solutions, you talked about asking collaborative questions and I think that's really key, Mm. open collaborative questions. In terms of how do we actually collaborate with people, you say, well, what can we do together? You assume they're part of your team and you Mm -hmm. assume you're both against the system and the way you talk then will become different. But as a practitioner, I'm acutely aware, and being surrounded by other practitioners, I'm also acutely aware that there is a big... Um, class privilege situation which I think we need to hold space for as practitioners to recognise because there is oh it's just easy to label those parents as difficult parents challenging parents not very good parents etc because that's easy for me to do that absolves me of of the hard work of, of being a practitioner which at the moment like thank you very much, please take my workload. You know, like if if it's so 
up against the grain all the time. Is that the word? Is that the up against mm. the mill? Up against the up against the wall. wall. Up against the wall. wall. Yeah. yeah, up against the wall. There you go. So up against, against the, wall, the grain. All against the grain. <laughs> we're full of we're full of really useful uh, whatever oh, those uh, things yeah. are. We don't even know the name of them. <laughs> I think you. I think you're up against the wall, Lucy. Up against are the you? wall yeah. all the time. Um, that actually, it, you know, subconsciously, it's much easier to decide that those low income parent that's the reason for their child's difficulties than it is for me to go. Oh, that's another thing I have to do. Mm. Um, so that collusion amongst practitioners of labeling parents and compartmentalizing different people, but also flip reverse it. Parents, you know, we're sat here as three quite eloquent, yeah. articulate, mm-hmm. educated parent, white parents yeah. who, who know, you know, you were talking about legislation, right? Like who know to go to the legislation yeah. and present it to the practitioners and mm. you know challenge etc cetera, etc cetera. but we also know statistically that there is a much higher rate of parents with SEN who have children with SEN yeah. mm-hmm. so we should be going in expecting that actually a lot of the people that we're working with as practitioners may well need support in even understanding what's going on or advocating yeah. for themselves or anything like that and so from a parental perspective how are you meant to how are you meant to do that? Like when even the most articulate, educated, privileged people um, isn't, struggle. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that just a sign though of how broken the system is? Yeah. That you have yeah. to be, um, you have to be able to find legislation and understand it and hold people to account yeah. without, yeah. whilst walking the tightrope, oh. without pissing people off. You know, da, 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 da. Yeah. To get what your to get what your child needs to have their needs met. Yeah, yeah, you crazy. Know? But I do think solution-wise, your your open questions of um, and just that reframing of us against the system. So, oh, you're not actually, you know, you, you know, you're on my side. We're team child. Yeah, yeah. and Assume how you're you part talk, of the team. I really like how that. How do you talk to? Yeah, how do you? How do we then communicate? Someone and talk? on your team. Yeah. yeah. This is, and yeah. we, we talk of all about um, Brecken's team. It's all Team Brex. Hey, Team Brex. And you know that collaborative aspect of we're doing this together. So there's an England and Wales High Court decision in the family division of the High Court that came through in October last year, so fairly recent. And I'll give you a brief summary of it. So there was a boy that we called W, who's age 12, and was the subject of an application of a care order. And whilst in provision, there was a breakdown of relationship. And basically the private care group who were responsible for delivering care said that they wanted to stop because they encountered a great deal of resistance and they perceived to be combative interference, back to that warrior language, with staff by the child's parents. And it was said in particular that the parents insist on having oversight on training, that they required the removal of two carers from their position on unreasonable grounds. They alleged um, certain things and they declined to cooperate with the review of package when they sort of said that it was inadequate and stuff. So this all went to the High Court at the end of last year and lots of stuff was brought up about how the fact the High Court is not the place for this Mm. kind of stuff because what it does is exactly what we've just said, which is basically pit camps 
against each other, which is in no way serving the person who is most important in the process, which is the child that's being looked after. And it brought up previous judgments and stuff. And one of the decisions made by the, I don't know, who's the person, the honourable judge person, who knows, <laughs> by the, pers- the, the person presiding the decision was that they got, they requested a psychological assessment of the two parents. And so as part of the judgment, wow. they did a psychological assessment of the two parents and the findings of that judgment blew the whole case open in that it talked about uh, the person who did the the assessment is a chartered psychologist and psychotherapist, a fellow of the British Psychology Society and trains practitioners, whether that's clinical psychologists and lawyers and staff in the charity sector. And the report said they did not consider that either parent had any sign of mood-related problems. I don't know about you, but I have said, had people, practitioners say to me, do you think you're depressed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. do you think you need to see a doctor mm-hmm. and the infuriation of saying I am struggling and I am finding it hard because this is hard, hard. Not, yeah. not like it was as though depression kind of got everybody else off the hook yeah. Yeah. do you know what I mean that if I'm mentally struggling then that means that that's my problem. Yep. It internalises the issue within you. Rather than the systems. The report came back and the mother was assessed as, in quotation, balanced, thoughtful woman with considerable psychological resilience. There was nothing to suggest that she has, in quotation, health anxiety or abnormal illness behaviour. Um, they said rather her psychological state had deteriorated in consequence of her son's health needs and the demands placed on her, particularly when they became very complex a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. So this kind of blew up the whole idea of the practitioner saying those parents are overcautious, overanxious, mm-hmm. causing loads of problems, being, you know, yeah. whatever. Basically, the clear circ- the, the, what they came down to was the the psychologist said it's clear that in these circumstances and quote this is a psychologically healthy way to respond to adversity mm-hmm. yeah so essentially what the parents were doing yeah. that was being interpreted as 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 challenging and difficult and whatever for the practitioners um was actually a very robust and typical response a a good response an expected response now it goes on about lots of different things but I want to read to you and I'm going to read it really slowly and we can discuss it in parts because I think what this when I found this I kind of thought it just epitomizes exactly what we're talking about how it gets to this point Mm -hmm. um so it's in quotation it says there are certain features of the system around this young man which makes it more rather than less likely that problems will arise so essentially a child with very complex needs who's who's got a condition where it is not reasonable for just one or two parents to care Mm -hmm. for them it makes it more likely that problem that this kind of combative potential problem will arise firstly because it is a very complicated system Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean that's an absolute no brainer but we've talked about that before how the number of practitioners we all have to talk to 
mm-hmm. in order to collab to to work with and as we said before about the goldfish bowl we don't have any control no. or authority or ability to get to request information from any of those people we're completely beholden to their systems Mm -hmm. leaves us in a very complicated system that we have no power within yeah and therefore very stressful so then it goes on secondly the stakes are high it's like they've been listening to the podcast (laughs) because (laughs) it's what we're saying we've said the hypervision that the stakes are so high we're not talking about are they going to get enough vitamin c yeah talking about life or death yeah and and can i just say that you know that idea i know in the kind of actions that was was perceived well uh, as negative about um two people two care workers that they didn't want on the team well you know everything we've talked about around um authority autonomy public becoming public property I can't imagine losing control of, mm. of if you know, at 12 years old, to lose control over who is the person that is providing that hu- mm-hmm. really high level of support to your own child. Mm. And the other is around, I think that there's something around um, recognising, I think there's an othering of of people with disability children with disability there is something about the value of those children this is an absolutely um as they say a normal response to a life and death situation Mm. for your child would you have that would you be surprised by that response if this wasn't a child that was disabled you know like kind Mm. of like we 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 can understand a hugely emotive response if the child is able-bodied just like our children Does that, mm. you know, do, yeah, do, do so, understand yeah, what so I'm, really I'm not point. like you. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not like you because my no. children can do all these things. And your response is unreasonable Isable. because this child is not of the same value mm-hmm. as the yeah, other yeah, children. Yeah, yeah. Why are you responding in this way for this child? Do, yeah, do, so, that's that... so true. Yeah. So that, that's yeah. a really good, that's a really good, then that is a really good benchmark as a practitioner to kind of pit that against. Is this a reasonable response if this child was typical? Mm. Or if this child was mine. Yeah, Yeah. or if this child was mine. Yeah, exactly. Is this a reasonable response? And if the answer is, well, yeah, then you've got your answer. And maybe then that undoes some of that um, prejudice. And you're not not conscious necessarily Mm. at all, but it's just baked in, isn't it? It's baked into the system. um, So that your child becomes less of a child and more of a um, how much resource are we going to have to allocate here? The second point was the stakes are very high. Um, and it goes on to say, this is about keeping a child alive and ensuring his yep. best quality of possible quality of life. So when you're talking about care provision in your own home and if you say, I don't want those people dealing with it, like you say, this is my house and this is my child. And yet that decision is deemed problematic. Thirdly, the commissioners face what many would consider to be impossible decisions about resource allocation, mm-hmm. which is wholeheartedly true we've got to hold Mm -hmm. all of those views and perspectives none of us would want to be the person with that budget that says Mm. they get it they get it they don't they get it they get it they don't Mm. because essentially that is what we are asking people to do you know Mm. and the, the, the emotional impact of that the the kind of the weight of responsibility for that we're not robots no but but 
we're also but the reason that commissioners are put into those positions is because it's a fundamentally under-resourced mm-hmm. underfunded system mm-hmm. yep and as long yep. as we accept that yep then we're saying the people who are most likely to get it is the probably white well-educated yep, yeah. yep. articulate da, da, da. and that's what we're um, saying is okay that's what we're saying yep. is okay So until we have a system by which everybody matters, everybody counts. And everybody's sticking their head out, in terms of practitioners, everybody's sticking their head out of the parapet. Because only one person does it because, you know, and then they get ostracised. But actually, if everyone did it, would we be in a better position? You know, who who, who is going to central government saying this is not acceptable? Mm. You know, or is everyone too tired and exhausted and and done? And are families like ours too invisible? Mm. and our and our families like ours not politically savvy enough. you know enough mm. if we were all you know we we um we feel isolated but there are a lot of us mm. if we were more politically savvy then you know and and, brought and, Abby ha- along, and brought Sorry. practitioners along with us yeah, yeah. like instead um, of going us through as a as a militant parent group we actually collaborated yeah. with people who fundamentally are part of the provision because they care mm-hmm. nobody becomes a healthcare practitioner for the money <laughs> or a social worker for the prestige i mean that's just not what they do so yeah. if we, but if we manage to bring people along with us i don't know how you do that stuff i don't know how you mobilize you know kind of our collective little army but there is there yeah. has to be some there has to be change we can't just accept can we it requires not just the practitioners not just the parents and the family and the wider family because we're all invested but it re- requires uh, a cultural change from mm-hmm. the narrative of the population mm-hmm. that those people are valuable in our society yes because that is because unless it's going to become a political decision that impacts votes and neither of those groups have enough sway to change actual party politics because they don't have enough votes but until the collective norm is that we're going to value everybody and yes it's going to cost money but that's okay because this is what we're then it isn't going to change third commissioners face what would consider to be impossible decisions fourth care work is intrinsically stressful and the pressures on health professionals and care staff have been vastly increased by the COVID-19 pandemic. Yep. You know, we all stood out there with our pots and pans and, you know, cheered them all on when we were stuck in our house and had nothing better to do on the first day. (laughs) But when it hits the, you know, when it's, when it's our child, it's it's the othering of they're not doing it. But they're still just people. Mm. There's people who are parents. There's people who are commissioners. And there are people that are healthcare professionals. And everyone is uh, dealing with highly stressful situations. Mm. And carers, carers that are kind of providing care from care companies or, you know, support workers, they're paid minimum wage. Yeah. Like, Pittance. it is absolutely insane they pay minimum wage they it's a thankless task in terms of you know it's it's not 
it's not glamorous, is it? It's not. No. <laughs> it, it's it's difficult. It's hard. It's tough. Like you just said, it's intrinsically care work is intrinsically difficult and hard, um, and yet we lay blame at their feet when actually what they do, what we should be doing, is saying, right, how can we help you to do your job better? How can we help you to get a better wage? How can we help? And you know, who's again? These are all idealistic things because who's going to do that when they're knackered you know they're, they're running mm. where parents are running on three hours sleep the rest of the rest of um you know the professionals have caseloads up to their asses you know it's just mm. I, I i but it, the questions at least the very beginning questions and conversations should be about what can we do to do this together how can we make this better for you how in to every stakeholder in that arena okay. and then we start to th- we start to become us versus the system and yeah. us being, you know, the, the right Everyone people. On the team. Born at the Right Time is an organisation focused on bridging the gap between families of people with complex needs and the practitioners who support them. We are all working so hard and we can find ourselves feeling as though we're working against each other. So through CPD certified training, workshops, advocacy and influencing policy, the Born at the Right Time team are passionate about seeing a cultural change which leads to improvements in service delivery and a better lived experience of people caring for those with complex disabilities. So go to bornattherighttime.com for more information on professional courses, parent workshops, or buying one of my books, The Skies Are Under and Shattered. Visit www.bornattherighttime.com to help in bridging the gap between those delivering your service and the people who are using it. So let me read you a little bit more of what it says. So there are certain features in the system around this young man which make it more rather than less likely that problems will arise in it. First, it's a very complicated system. Second, the stakes are very high. Ultimately, this is about keeping a child alive and ensuring his best possible quality of life. Third, commissioners face what would be considered to be impossible decisions about resource allocation. Fourth, care work is intrinsically stressful and the pressures on health professionals and care staff have been vastly increased by the COVID-19 pandemic. These factors all affect the emotional climate of the system around W and the relationships between those components of the system. The system around this young man has become sensitised and inflamed. Feelings have run high and perspectives have become polarised and entrenched. Both the mother and the father, individual professional staff and their organisations have become stuck in polarised beliefs about each other. It's become difficult for parent, for the parents and for professionals to respond moderately in ways that soothe rather than exacerbate the dynamic tensions between the different parts of the system. I hope it will be apparent that this analysis does not apportion blame. The family commissioners and health and social care providers are all affected by the dynamic context in which they're trying to do their best. Rather than looking to change the parents, 
I recommend a systemic intervention drawn from organisational psychology, psychodynamic psychotherapy, group analysis and systems theory. The intervention would assist all agencies and the parents to understand the dynamic processes that have led Mm. to the current difficulties, to step back from mutual blame and recrimination, to establish working practices which will contain and diminish sensitivities and optimise collaboration between the different parts of the system. I recommend that an organisational or systemic systemic supervisor consultant is employed to work with the system and facilitate systemic meetings within which the aim set out in the paragraph above would be addressed. It's great. I mean, that's great. That's a great analysis. What that looks like in practice. Well, um, what that looks like is somebody coming in and and throwing loads more money at it, which is you only get. When you've ended up in court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And that's it, isn't it? And and I'm sitting and I'm thinking, see, I'm trying really hard not to be depressed. Because <laughs> um it's, you're not depressed, you're having a normal psychological response. I'm, I'm, having, I'm actually having a normal things. psychological response to what is a shit situation. Yes. That's right. Well done. But the fact is at the moment the system is doing harm and real mm. harm. Mm-hmm. And both to practitioners and but but more than anything, it's doing it to families. Who are the and, most vulnerable. Yeah. And and um, I am 100% behind uh, the sentiment of that judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fear is that um, until there is a radical investment in, in yeah. our health and social care system, that... And, and actually it benefits the system to have practitioners fighting families and yeah. families fighting mm-hmm. because yeah. then nobody's looking at, yeah, at where you know, the problems at, really are. At where the problem yeah. actually lies. Um, it's like someone's standing there going, look over there, look over there, yeah. look yeah. over exactly. there. And my worry is that um, that when we talk about... My worry is always that when, you, when we talk about um, partnership working, there's also a little voice in the back of my head that... Um, is really mindful that that families have experienced horrific trauma mm. you know and 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 have lost their children and have have mm. been up against a system that 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 ultimately when it does go wrong the state funds legal representation yeah. and, and, and not victimizes for, yeah, it, it, yeah and victimizes yeah. families i mean let's not let's not underestimate the psychological impact of the fact that a local authority put took two parents to court yeah yeah because they deemed their behavior yeah to be detrimental to their child like we cannot in mm-hmm. a 45 minute podcast no express the enormity of stress as a parent mm. to have the that level of your your parenting your love your dedication to st- we talked about the scrutiny last episode mm-hmm. of the i mean that is another level goldfish bowl but that... and we cannot underestimate the harm the, the trauma the no, trauma yeah. that will take years to undo and that's the tightrope between getting what our children need and not pissing people off ultimately we know that when you really, really piss people off, they have the mm-hmm. the power. They hold the yeah. They hold yeah. the power. Yeah. They hold the strings. The ultimate tightrope is that one, yeah. isn't it? And I, and while while that sentiment and that judgment is is a hundred percent 
absolutely what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, it costs. Re- yes, it takes resource, but more than that, it's a culture shift. Yeah. Which and we all know that organisational culture change takes a really long time, like a really long time. So people, it's it's not something you can come in or and, a pandemic and throw. Well, yeah, or a pandemic. Mean, it has to be something that literally flips everything upside down. Yeah. For everyone to go, whoa, that's a disaster. We've got to all change. But even in the pandemic, the culture change happened in favour of people that weren't us. You know, like, there were so many opportunities there which weren't taken um, because Mm. because just because it was easier to not. That's it. Um, But I think the, the, the... If we focus only on the money side of it, then we can throw tons of money at anything... And but if there is not sustainable long term culture change, that money is useless. It's just one of yeah. those things. And and then in like two years they just say, oh, well, we tried that. We chucked loads of money at it, and look what happened. <laughs> and it's a it's a fundamental shift from yeah. right from the levels of the individual right through to the levels of the system. So individual level change, organisational level change, structural level change, and then systemic level change. And I, I always get I in, on my EP course, I was always the person that in anything they any questions were asked um everyone would look at me and go mm, systems theory at me because i because i'm that person that i just i totally get all this and i'm like so passionate about it but the reality the enormity the mm-hmm. mag just on, on the scale of magnitude that we you have to do this on it starts with you know like what we're doing rachel you know what you do yeah. more often than me is the training on the individual level mm-hmm. and then the organizational systems level analysis training and then the the kind of bigger bigger stuff um commissioner level and uh, it's such a massive task the last thing i want to say um with regard to this this particular ruling um said in quotation not talked about the high the whole idea of not being what would be reasonable to expect a parent to give so this whole idea of the parents being unreasonable and the parent and that kind of was where we started like what do we mm. worry and set you know Sarah you said mm-hmm. near the beginning I worry that they're thinking I'm asking more than I should that I'm not being reasonable, reasonable. and the, the the judgment sort of said that it's not regarded as an abstract or hypothetical test mm-hmm. but would be evaluated by reference to the circumstance the parent is confronting as in would it be reasonable to expect a parent in these particular circumstances mm-hmm. yeah. recognizing that in a challenging situation many of us behave in a way which is not objectively as viewed as reasonable mm-hmm. so it's so easy to say i would and 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 i think that's true of both sides yeah. I really, really do. We we kind of, I was in a conversation with a parent recently and they were like, but I just expect the practitioners to do it better. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, why? We need to be mm-hmm. modelling ourselves as parents to communicate and to behave with people in the way that we want to be treated and communicated and behaved with. Yeah. And we need to recognise that positive regard for people, but recognise that we're all living in stressful situations. Yeah just the nature of the last two years has stretched Mm -hmm. us all and again this Mm -hmm. isn't a comparative you know competitive situation but what is reasonable is not what's reasonable when we're sitting having had a cup of tea Mm -hmm. and gone to the toilet and we haven't got anything pressing against you know when everyone's being reasonable and everyone's being um 
sedate and having had enough rest and having had mm-hmm. enough and not worrying about life or death like the child going onto the road and you scream and drag them back mm-hmm. you know that is not reasonable if the child was you know just wanted to go up the hill to the park yeah your it's the context it's relative oh. and specific to the context that people are facing and yeah you're completely right it's about looking at practitioners realizing that for families and families realizing that from practitioners because as was completely highlighted in that uh commissioners are facing literally impossible decisions mm. and so what what they are going to act how they are going to act and what they're going to do may well be deemed as unreasonable but they are also literally mm. got their nuts in a vice to uh mm. <laughs> to coin and now sitting of all the, perf- <laughs> all the commissioners who's got their nuts in a vice <laughs> Yeah. Or you know, whatever female equivalent of that. (laughs) In a court in a very, very a very, very restrictive corset. Corset. But can mm. I just lighten the load and give you an update on Mouse Gate? Oh yeah, yes, please. Well, I don't, I don't know if I don't know if it really I don't know really if it is an update. Um it, as in it's not a light update unfortunately the last uh, communication i had from the family group was mouse emoji tombstone emoji sad oh, face emoji dear. I don't know what's gone down but apparently the mouse is now no no more there'll be more lucy don't worry my yeah. husband my husband <laughs> tried to sort of you know the way you get cats who you know they kind of bring their mouse to the oh, door God. you know they kind yeah. of like like like, like little presents, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like trophies. Um, husband and I were in a f- lived in a flat in Brixton when we were first married, and I was on a night shift, and I came back from my night shift, and I don't know why, but I came back, and um, he, my husband, was still asleep, and I put like rubbish out the back door. I noticed this mouse just dead outside <laughs> my back door, and I'm like, what, what the heck? And I came to bed, and I was like, what? what's what why is there a dead mouse he was like i killed it like he was some sort of bear grills-esque type thing so what had happened was he was lying in bed i'm working very hard in the west end of london and a and he was lying in bed and heard the scratch of the mouse on the door and every time he flicked the light on the noise stopped and then he'd turn it off and go back to bed again and the scratching would return so he basically got his pen knife because he is a bit of a bear grill type out of his bedside drawer and went and lay in wait by the door and so the door is closed light is off my husband in his pajamas <laughs> kneeling crouched by the door and once again he hears he takes the pen knife and stabs it underneath the door and kills the mouse with a laceration to its neck. So like a little cat, he decided to, you know, not just discard the mouse that he had killed with his... uh, Bare hands. Bare hands and pen knife, but he wanted to ensure that I could see the, you know, the produce... The manliness. His his nuts were not in a vice that day. (laughs) But they were oh on display. Goodness. They were <laughs> yeah. very large and hanging low. 
<laughs> Making sure everyone knows. <laughs> Darling, I killed that mouse for you. So that was an unplanned uh, little interlude around um, the stresses and strains um, that came out of our conversation last week around the goldfish bowl. Sarah and Lucy, thank you so much for giving up your time every <laughs> pleasure. week. As always. Our pleasure. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Do you think we should have had a trigger warning at the start of this episode? I'm not sure what the trigger um, would have been, except that it's hard. This is hard on all sides. And unfortunately, the most vulnerable people, the children who have disabilities, are the ones that are missing out. They're the ones whose lives are most affected by the dysfunction of the goldfish bowl, which has a massively complex system of observation and scrutiny and regulation. I am so passionate that there is a different way of doing this, which doesn't pit us against each other, especially those of us who come face to face with our children. I'm convinced that we can work together and challenge the systems which don't serve either the professionals or the families, and only then we really impact change. But it comes back to compassion and it comes back to empathy. Culturally, we don't have compassion for people with disabilities. Instead, we have pity, which, according to Brené Brown, is the near enemy of empathy. Because pity is so toxic and a much greater enemy than apathy, the opposite of empathy, is. Because it pity looks a little bit like empathy, but actually it creates the entity of other. Instead of it being about all of us in it together, instead of humanity valuing all humans and our worth being in our presence, rather pity says you are different and that means I'm sad for you because you're not like me. Whereas empathy says we are all in this together. We all have the same dreams and hopes and rights to belong and have purpose and connection. Whether you have disabilities, whether you love someone with a disability, whether you're a practitioner, a commissioner, a politician. I want to thank you for listening to the Skies Rwanda podcast. It would be a massive help to us if you could rate, review and follow the podcast wherever it is that you listen along. Thanks again for Sarah and Lucy for coming back to our conversations week on week. To Harry for doing all the technical audio stuff. It has been a heavy week this week, but we aren't leaving it here. So come back next week because we will laugh again and we'll dream again. And we'll think about ways in which maybe we can start to change the little bit of world around us. One small thing at a time. I wish you all the best in the days ahead. Whatever skies you're under.